The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, episode number 24. Hey guys, I hope everybody is having a good week amongst all this craziness still with the coronavirus. Um, I live in North Carolina and we just got word that it's definitely going to be until the end of April before we can really leave our houses or do anything normal. We're currently on a shelter in place. So that means you really can't leave your house unless it's absolutely necessary. But it's all good. We've been making it work and I'm feeling much better now um, since I was sick last week. So this week we are doing a birth story and I recorded this a couple months back with my friend Amanda. Amanda has been following me for a long time and we have been going back and forth uh, DMing each other on social media for a long time. And shout out to her because she was actually the one who introduced me to my Barbies and getting my Barbies involved in my pictures. So I love her for that. Thank you, Amanda. Amanda came on my podcast today to share the story of her first birth, her daughter, Juniper, who she lost at term. Her and her husband had went into their last MFM appointment in the city for a growth ultrasound before her scheduled inductions that was just four days away. They heard the words, at this appointment, no pregnant woman ever wants to hear. I'm sorry, there is no heartbeat their precious little baby Juniper had died still in womb. They left the clinic, stopped at home, and then headed to the hospital for an induction. A lot of people don't really understand how this process works when a baby dies inside of you and it is this, you know, this big. Juniper was four pounds when she was born, but you still have to give birth. So Amanda went through an induction and gave birth to Juniper. So I am so excited and happy that Amanda came on here to share that story with you guys. So let's get started. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where we firmly believe in the power of education when it comes to giving birth. Tune in each week as we dive into pregnancy-related topics, expert interviews, and a variety of birth stories. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now, here's your host, educator, registered nurse, and fellow mom, Liesl Teen. Hi, Amanda. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Good morning. Yeah. Can you just start by telling listeners a little bit about yourself and your family, where you're from, what you do, all of that good stuff? Sure. My name is Amanda, and my husband Mitch and I live in a small town in Minnesota. We have two beautiful daughters. One is with me right now, so you'll probably hear her making I noise. I kind of hear her already <laughs> making noise. <laughs> she's, she's really noisy, so it's super fun. Um, I'm a professional photographer. I run my own business. Um, awesome. So to motherhood, I have some flexibility there. Yeah. what that looks like. Our daughters are Juniper and Coral. 
Juniper would be just over a year old, and um, she was born and she died last year. She was stillborn at full term. Yeah. And our second daughter, Coral, um, is just about just over three months, and she was born two days before what should have been Junie's first birthday. Wow. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That is crazy. Well, those yeah. are beautiful names. Like, I'm just curious, before we start into Juniper's story, how did you, how do you, how did you come up with those names? Well, Juniper's name I got from a dog, and <laughs> really, which is funny because actually my niece is named after an overweight wiener dog, so it's perfect. <laughs> I got the name Juniper when I was probably like 15 weeks or so pregnant with her. Yeah. And um, it just like got on my radar because of this uh, dog Instagram because that's a wonderful place to be. <laughs> and my husband totally shot it down right away. And, um, then when we found out she had died and we thought she was a boy all along, yeah. so when she was a girl and she had died, my husband was like, after he saw me like give birth, he's like, whatever, whatever you want. Yeah. Um, so I mean, ultimately we probably used it because she had died, but yeah. it's really funny and it's so fitting. Um, yeah. when she was born, um, that was the only name that I could see naming her. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Well, and then so Coral's funny. name, I used to work at Starbucks uh-huh. and there was a, a woman from Australia, oddly enough, that lived here in Minnesota and she would always come through the drive-thru and she'd always get something different to drink. Mm-hmm. And we could never understand her in the drive-thru and we're like, and her name was Coral, obviously. And we're like, Coral, just come inside. It, it was the <laughs> So she just kind of left an impression on me, and that's kind of how the name got on my radar as well. And I really like the color orange. Um, so it's mm. the closest that I could get to naming my child orange. And <laughs> Coral is the only other name we um, considered for Junie. And I just thought they went really well together. Yeah. No, I love it. I love the name Coral. Like that's so. I just. Yeah. I love them both. But yes, I love that name. So Thank cool. You. Yeah. Well, guys, we are doing a birth story today and we're going to be talking about Juniper's, you know, birth. And Amanda, I want you to kind of start and go back to when you kind of found out you were pregnant with Juniper and how that was and how your pregnancy kind of was. And then we can jump into her birth story. Sure. So we got married after many years of dating in July of 2017. Mm -hmm. And then just before Christmas, um, I think it was December 22nd, we found out we were pregnant with Junie. I only actually took a pregnancy test that day because we were going to be drinking all day. (laughs) And I was like, done that before. (laughs) I was over a week late. So I was like, oh, maybe I should. And yeah, it like turned positive right away. There was like no mistaking it. I was like, oh. Okay. So that was fun. Um, so our first pregnancy, our first baby. Um, so that was really exciting when we found out, um, I was really sick. I was actually sick for the whole nine months, which was really fun. We told our families, I think before we had had our first ultrasound, it's hard to remember right now. Um, there's my dog. (laughs) It's okay. So pretty uneventful in the beginning of my pregnancy. Yeah. And then um, we had our 20-week scan. It was actually 19 weeks um, at the local hospital. I was going through just like a family doctor. Mm -hmm. And she was measuring really small. And she was also just like in a weird position. They like couldn't get a really good like profile shot of her. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they also discovered a 10-centimeter uterine fibroid Mm -hmm. on my uterus. Mm -hmm. And the tech was really surprised to hear that I didn't know about this fibroid. And I, you know, 
So that was, there's just yeah. a few kind of red flags. And because of the way that my care was, I didn't see my, my, my doctor for three weeks after mm. this. Scan. So that whole time we were starting to get worried, but we yeah. were also like, Oh, if it was a big deal, like we would have seen my doctor the next day right? or whatever. So then, um, when I finally did see my doctor, the report from the hospital was all sorts of messed up. Actually, there was like a typo about my due date um, and her measurements were all off. And then the 10 centimeter fibroid wasn't even on the report, actually. Hmm. My doctor only knew about it because I told her about it. So anyways, there was just a lot of hmm. issues um, starting at that point. So then we were referred to MFM, uh, Maternal Fetal Medicine, mm-hmm. a specialty clinic. Um, and she was measuring small and then she continued to measure smaller. So we started going in. I hope this isn't getting too detailed. It's okay. Um, no. Started going in every, every four weeks for growth checks. Mm-hmm. And we started doing weekly biophysical profiles and non-stress tests at the mm-hmm. MFM. And then her growth just kept dropping um, down the charts more and more and more. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then we eventually went to twice a week biophysical profiles and NSTs. Mm-hmm. So when I was about 26 weeks pregnant, they decided to change my due date, which they should not have done. Right. Um, and we ultimately think that that could have um, been what would have gotten Junie here. Ugh. Yeah. So Junie was growth restricted, uh, IUGR, if you want to Google it or mm-hmm. if you want to talk about it. And the big thing with that is that you don't want to go past 37 weeks of pregnancy because that's when your placenta shuts down. Um, So that's why the due date change was such a big deal. That breaks my heart. That, that like, ugh. So it's preventable. It just feels like it could have been preventable. Anyways, uh, Thursday, August 9th, we went in for our last growth ultrasound. I was going to be induced in four days if I didn't go into labor already on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I was already dilated. I was having a lot of Braxton Hicks. So they, they were kind of like, if you go into labor, we're not stopping it, you know? Right. So that morning, um, my husband and I went to that growth yeah. ultrasound and I are like, as soon as she started scanning, I knew it was wrong. Yeah. I had seen ultrasounds twice a week. Um, that week prior, I was in four times for monitoring. My blood pressure was going up, mm-hmm. preeclampsia essentially. Yeah, and so she started scanning, and I knew it was wrong. And she had to leave and grab the doctor. And yeah. it's so weird when she left the room. My husband was like, "What's what's wrong?" You know, and I'm like, "Well, there's no her heart's not beating." Well, yeah. we didn't know she was a boy or girl yet at that yeah. point. So, yeah. and I just said it so calmly, like, because of course the the machine was broken. The TV wasn't connected right. You know, like that's, right. that's what you're in such denial. So right. then the doctor came in and um, had to tell us the words no one ever wants to hear. Yeah. yeah. And told us there's no heartbeat. And our world came crashing down. Of course. And I remember... I remember that I didn't want to leave that room because if we left that room, then it was real. Yeah. And so I think we, we stayed in that room um, for probably like, <laughs> excuse you, <laughs> probably like 40 minutes or so that the sonographer and my nurse that I'd gotten to know really well over those constant checks right. um, came in with tissues and stuff, which was yeah. nice and hugged us and cried with us. And actually, I want to pause here and take a little step back into a little background on myself. Yeah. Um, so as a photographer, 
I, before I even got pregnant with Junie, I went um, through training with the Star Legacy Foundation. It's a stillbirth um, support and research organization oh. to be a volunteer photographer for families in, um, in lost situations. Mm-hmm. Usually, it's really ironic to me because usually people don't get involved with something so sad like babies dying unless mm-hmm. they have experienced it themselves. Right. And so I had gone through this training to be a volunteer photographer, and it was actually their peer support um, training mm-hmm. on how to like support someone in the hospital and in the days that follow. Mm-hmm. So when we found out that Juniper had died. Um, at full term, especially, I already had like this background knowledge on how that was supposed to look. Mm-hmm. So, like, when they told us that she had no heartbeat, I knew that I was gonna have to deliver her. I knew that I was gonna right. want photos taken. I knew that I like wanted our families to come and meet our baby, like all those things. So it was it was really like kind of a weird, weird, weird coincidence. Yeah, 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 100%. Yeah. So anyways, we found out that her heart was not beating. We were at the um, clinic, so we were in the cities, and we lived kind of out, um, outside of the cities a little bit. Right. So we finally left there. We stopped at home to um, grab our stuff for the hospital, mm-hmm. and my, our dog was going absolutely nuts at the time. I think she, she knew. She knew. It's yeah. so odd how they do that. I mean, just uh, – like pregnancy in general, I know dogs, uh, it right. must be a smell thing because obviously dogs are so, you know, they have such good noses and I think it must be something with that. I don't know, you know, technically what it is, but Definitely. yeah, and like it's gotta be too. something. Yeah. With animals. Our, yes. Yeah. Like they've got to smell the baby or something. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Our cat was like always attached to my belly. And actually that morning, that Junie died, I woke up and uh, my dog Penny's head was resting on my belly, oh. which is so sweet. And I think, I, I think she maybe knew what was happening yeah. and was like trying to warn us yeah, or just like trying to give Junie the last little bit of love she could. Yeah. Now let, so, let me, yeah. before we start really into Herper's story, let me ask you um, something too. With her having yeah. IUGR, did you feel a lot of decreased movements or how did they have you count kicks or did you even count kicks or do you remember, you know, leading up if there was decreased movement or had you always felt decreased movement because she was IUGR? How was, how was that experience? Yeah. Well, um, hindsight's twenty twenty. So right, if right. I knew, if I knew then what I know now, it's right. like all duh. Right. Um, but at the time I was, under such close monitoring, she was passing my, um, her biophysical profiles and on stress tests, like, like she was just flying colors there. Um, and so I don't, I don't really ever remember count kicks, counting the kicks because you were going in so frequently. So it's like, yeah. 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 And then that last week, my blood pressure was going up. So like I said, I'd been in four times that week prior, they were just like waiting for me to go into labor, you know? And I, like around the same time, I had so many friends that um, were about the same pregnant as me. And they were like, oh, I thought my baby slowed down. And I went in and it was fine. And so like, so stupid, but I didn't want someone right. to think that I was just this overly worried first time pregnant mom. And that is for anyone listening, that is not a thing. Don't, no, don't it is that, not. Don't ever let that control you. No, um, it is not for sure. So yeah. So the day before she died, 
I kind of thought she had slowed down, but I'd also been put on bed rest. I was not mm-hmm. drinking caffeine anymore. Right. You know, my, my situational life had changed a lot. And anytime I like left any monitoring, they're just like, call us if there's decreased movement. They never talked what decreased movement looked like. Right. They didn't, there was no specifics on anything like that. It was just like, well, you'll be in in two days again. So like, I, yeah, I, like, don't worry about, yeah, I can see, yeah, I can see how that's very confusing. I kind of thought that like, oh, if you're going to a clinic frequently, like, you know, that something bad could happen. And right. it actually feels like the opposite. Like it almost feels like it was more of a blind side. Right. We were more blindsided because we were being watched so closely and twice a week we were told she is perfect and I was looking good and, and then to have like the rug ripped out from under you is just absolutely insane. No, totally. I I totally get what you're saying because even patients that we see in Anapart who are in the hospital, I mean, it doesn't happen very frequently, but occasionally there are still bosses that even when we're doing, you know, monitoring twice a day, you know, and people are, we still, we still make sure to tell people like, Hey, even though you just had your monitor on and your baby looks okay, like, please tell us if you feel like something is wrong, you feel like your baby's not moving as much. And I think that if that had been drilled in your head by your provider, things might've been, you know, things might've been differently. And that's so, it's so heartbreaking, breaking to know that it, this truly may have been prevented if the due date thing was differently or if like the care was just it just sounds like it was a lack of kind of care in between yeah there was just a lot of a lot of little gaps and um on the on the subject of movement the day before I thought she had slowed down and like I had texted my husband like should I call should I go in and it was like we were just in you're going in tomorrow which is again so stupid that I thought like oh that meant we're safe and then like that night I was like kind of starting to get worried and I was gonna be like whatever I'm just gonna go in right and she started kicking and like normal so I was like Mm -hmm. okay we're fine um after she was born and they did her autopsy they said she probably passed away about 12 hours before she was born Mm -hmm. um which would have been actually right before our appointment that morning so so I guess like that gives me some peace because I could have gone in on Wednesday, the day before. I could have said, hey, she's not moving that much. They could have passed her with flying colors again. They could have said, hey, you're being seen by MFM tomorrow. And I think ultimately, like, if that's what would have happened, I think I would feel even more guilty. Right. So that's where you you have to find little pockets of peace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in it. But I mean, there still is a huge part of me that regrets not going in. I'm sure. That day. I'm sure. Yeah. And that's completely understandable and completely valid. So I completely yeah. understand. All right. Well, let's go back to, you know, kind of when you were told this terrible, terrible news and you said that you guys kind of went home and you gathered your stuff. Did you take some time at home at, or did you just say, hey, let's, you know, go straight up to the hospital? Because sometimes that's what we do if a patient is experiencing a loss. We'll give them the option of, hey, um, you know, take as much time as you need kind of thing if yeah. you want to come back later or tomorrow or in two days and that's okay. Um, what was your experience with that? I think again, because I had that background of like, I knew I had to give birth, like all those things. I like, I mean, I was still anxious and everything, but I wasn't as like scared or like, I kind of, I knew 
to happen. And yeah. I think at that point too, like she had died. I was still, I still wanted to meet my baby. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of like excited. I feel mm-hmm. like I can only say that now. Like I, there was no way I would have said that in the moment. Right. But I guess my husband and I were like, well, let's just, we get this over with kind of like yeah. at that point, once I had known she had, she had died, I just wanted her felt icky. I just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Mitch would try to hug me and I'd be like, eh, don't get my belly in the way. Like that feels Aww. weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we just, we wanted to the hospital and meet her and yeah. it almost felt like the longer we drug our feet, the yeah. worse it got, you know? Right. Right. No, yeah. totally. And so totally then actually, understand. once we got to the hospital, they, they said kind of what you had said, like, mm-hmm. you can go home, go for a walk, come back tomorrow. Like they were so kind and so sweet. And we're like, Nope, we got to do this. Like, like we want to get this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we were probably in the room for about two hours before anything really got started. Yeah. Um, and that was excruciating. Like yeah. It's so much anxiety going into giving birth and then sitting there for like two hours. I thought I was going to puke the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That was just hard. Yeah. So let's dive into, you know, kind of when you got there and you said you had to wait for this like two hour kind of time period, um, which is, t- I'm thinking about like taking care of a patient experiencing a loss and like it, that is agonizing to me to have somebody it's like I know I want to like focus all of my energy on if the you know it obviously it depends on the patient but if yeah it sounds like if you were my patient I would be like okay like let's get going like let's do this then let's do this and but it's like oh that is that is so I, I just it makes me sad to think about that time period that you just had to wait and apologize for that. So yeah, (laughs) so let's, so let's jump into, you know, kind of the steps of, because guys remember that, and we've said this a few times that this is, you still have to give birth. It's not like they just magically, you know, there's a, you know, you go to sleep and then you wake up and there's no baby, you know, you still have to go through the whole process of giving birth either vaginally or via C-section. Um, so this is a whole process, you know, cause this baby uh-huh. is, I don't know how, you know, how many pounds Juniper was, but she, you know, a full-term size baby that has to, um, that has to come out vaginally or via C-section. So it's a uh-huh. whole process. So let's go into kind of how that went, you know, initially getting you set up because you had to be induced, right? Because you weren't yep. having any contractions. So I'll let you go ahead. Yeah. So I, I will speak on a part of that, like weight was my yeah. doctor was clearing her schedule for the day. Yeah. Um, she was pretty much with us the whole time I was in labor, which was helpful. Yeah. Um, so that was part of the weight too. And just, gotcha. I think getting that anesthesiologist set up cause I said I wanted an epidural and yeah. all of that stuff. So I, I understand the weight. It was just awful. Yeah. So yeah. Um, finally the nurse came in and was like okay here's a hospital gown get dressed into that right. and get on the bed and I had said I wanted an epidural I didn't want to feel anything and right. I had planned on an epidural regardless and then at that point I said I, I just want it right away like there was no way I was going to be walking the halls and running into people with living right. babies right. you know so I didn't mind being constricted to the bed so I got my epidural and then my doctor broke my water. So I was already dilated to a three when we came in, which was helpful for, okay. yeah. um, for being induced. 
broke my water. And then as far as labor, labor goes, I progressed really well for it being my first baby. Yeah. We didn't use any Pitocin or anything. And I was fully dilated within about four hours. Wow. Um, which is good because it was like, oh my gosh, like, let's just get this baby here. I want to meet this baby, you know? Yeah. And so yeah, I was fully dilated about four hours. Um, right after I got my epidural is when we decided to start calling our families, Mm -hmm. which my husband had to do. So like, I know that watching me give birth was probably awful for him, but listening to make those phone calls almost broke me. I I can't imagine. Yeah, I can't imagine. And of course, you know, it was just like the middle of the day on a weekday. And the hardest part, I think, about all of this, especially because I was full term, is that everybody expected us to be having a baby. Everybody knew we were having a baby. Everyone was just waiting for this baby. So of course, when my husband's calling his mom on a Thursday at 1 p.m., Mm -hmm. she's excited. She's happy. She she knows why she's getting this phone call. She doesn't know that our baby's not going to be alive. So that was, that was really a really hard part of it. And we live in a small town. Um, I drive an orange car that was in the parking lot. So like, I was getting Snapchats while I was in labor of like, you're having a baby. So that was hard. Everybody knew that that appointment that morning was my last appointment. Yeah. Um, Like everybody knew it was like, yay, last appointment. We're going to have a baby soon. Like so excited. And so then everyone was like, how was your appointment? And then I wasn't responding. So they're like, you're having a baby. You're not responding. You're having a baby. I was like, I am, but, and we did not tell anyone but our families. I think I spoke to a few friends that I knew that had um, had babies die as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I reached out to a few of those friends, but otherwise we didn't tell anyone else at the time. It was just, let's get this baby here and then kind of go from there. Right. So you have Mitch had to call our families. And of course he said, look, we didn't know how long it was gonna take first baby. I was infused, you know? So of course he had said, Hey, you know, we'll let you know when to come to the hospital. And everybody came straight to the hospital. Yeah. I went to text my, I went to text my dad when I was probably about eight centimeters. He's got about an hour drive. And I was like, Hey dad, like things are progressing. Like if you, you should probably start heading to the hospital soon. Like no rush. Like there's no baby yet. And he was like, I'm in the waiting room. (laughs) Okay. So that was, and actually I've got a funny story to share about that in a little bit. Okay. Um, so about 530, I was fully dilated. So then it was like, okay, let's start pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little harder to push out a baby that isn't living because their body kind of works against yes. you. Yes. So I pushed for two hours and 11 minutes, which is insane. Yeah. And then Juniper was born. Mitch says that she came shooting out like an octopus. <laughs> uh, so that was funny. So I said that we did not know the gender of our mm-hmm. baby until she was born. And I was so set that it was a boy, just mm-hmm. the old wives tales and all those things. So then when she was born, my doctor said it's a girl. I didn't believe her because then she's stitching me up. Yes, you do get stitches when you have a baby right. that's stillborn. Right. Um, had second degree tear. So while she was stitching me up, I questioned her abilities on stitching me up because I thought it was a boy because I saw Junie's umbilical cord stump yeah. and I thought it was a little wiener. <laughs> so that was pretty, we, 
if you can't tell, we deal a lot with our stress and our hardship with humor. Right. That well, hey. <laughs> the only the only way to get it through. And like we wanted to surround our baby still with happiness since I knew I knew so much that this was gonna be the only time we would get to spend together and really wanted to make the most of it. And like we were so excited to be having our baby. Just sucked we didn't get to keep her. Right. So yeah, and one of the a funny thing about when I was um pushing, Mitch had paint on his hands. He was painting uh-huh. he was painting in the nursery the night before she was born. Mm-hmm. And he had paint all over his hands and the nursery was nowhere near finished uh when Junie was born. We actually redid our wood floors the week before oh, gosh. in the in the baby's room. Uh-huh. So I was nine months pregnant, put on bed rest and living in our camper fish house in our driveway. Oh gosh. So oh my fun. goodness. Yeah. It was a wild, wild time. So anyways, when I was pushing, one of the nurses noticed the paint on Mitch's hands and he goes, don't worry, I'll have the baby's room ready in time for the next kid. Oh God. It was hilarious. It's, <laughs> it's what I needed to hear. I, oh. you know, if we would have just um, sat there and been really like, I mean, we were sad, but like, we of just, course focused on it like I had to put out of my mind that she had died when I was yeah. pushing because anytime I thought about that my pushes were not productive yeah oh yeah you tacking um <laughs> so I I focused on not knowing if it was a boy or girl that's yeah. what got me through those two hours plus yeah. of pushing so yeah, yeah she was born and they put her on my chest right away I wish that we had talked about doing skin to skin Mm-hmm. we no one mentioned it and I think I thought about it but I was like that's pointless like that's silly like mm-hmm. and now in hindsight I wish I would have like she would have been warm for a little bit and I knew she was gonna get cold right um I don't think I wanted to experience that transition right and I also think I was like I just don't want to be like dirty and then I'll have to shower like I wanted to selfishly look good in the only photos I was going to have with her so of course. yeah so yeah I think in hindsight I would have done skin to skin right away so we had a little time with her right away and then I had had a photographer friend lined up um to come take photos Mm -hmm. and then she still was available to come when Jimmy had died Mm -hmm. so she came in right away um and took photos of me and Mitch and Junie and um of course we like did all the they weighed her took her measurements the nurse asked if we wanted to give her a bath and we had the nurse give her a bath. We were both a little scared to. Yeah. Um, she weighed four pounds, 13 ounces, and which is pretty darn good for how like growth restricted she was. And like, I was going to say, yeah, petite, but she wasn't skinny. Like, yeah, she was filled out and she was just beautiful. And I consider it such a blessing, such a curse that we were so close to her being born. Right alive um because so many times when I show people her photos they don't realize that she had died and I've seen and I was just going to comment on that too because I mean I've seen your pictures on your profile and you're Mm -hmm. exactly right she doesn't look like she's I mean she she looks like you know a a baby who was just born who's just sleeping I mean I've seen plenty of babies who you know they, they have skin that's really peeling back and it, it just, they look a lot different than Juniper did. For and sure. yeah, you're, you're absolutely right that she looks perfect. And I yeah. mean, she, she does, you know, she's beautiful, <laughs> but it's just, yeah, it is interesting to me. 
bring that I up. showed someone um, a photo of Junie the other day and they knew that I had had a baby that had died and I had a baby yeah. that was alive. Yeah. And I showed them a picture of Juniper and they actually thought it was Coral. And oh, they were like, yeah. oh, how old is she? And I was like, yeah. oh, well, that's my that's baby. My... Sorry. Oh, <laughs> I'm very, if you haven't noticed, I'm also very blunt with language. I don't. That's, uh, yeah, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I try to use, um, try to avoid using like loss. Mm -hmm. a lot mm -hmm. um and just anything fluffy like that I don't mm -hmm. use born sleeping because she wasn't sleeping she died right and especially recently this is kind of a tangent real quick but yeah it's okay recently um since Coral's been born my husband keeps having this reoccurring dream that he's playing hide and seek with her mm -hmm. and in the middle of the night he'll tell me I lost the baby and in my mind, my heart just drops and I think, oh my gosh, another baby died. Like, oh my so gosh. Really intentional lately at not using that language because we didn't lose Jenny. She died. So yeah. I just wanted to no, add that's, that little. That's perfectly fine. I, I now like, no, like you saying that that's interesting. And I'm wondering if I, you know, cause it's just it's not like, like, that's just what we say. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like almost hard to change the, that language, but you oh, saying sure. that it makes so much concrete sense. And I'm yes. going to definitely try and like change that language because it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it it's is hard. Acceptable, it's the accepted way that we do talk about something right. so complicated and so unnatural. Like babies right. shouldn't die. So I right. understand that we have like we have used language because it, it is hard. It, it right. shouldn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. So well, anyways. let's talk. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. talk a little bit about your recovery and how that was, because I want to really make this clear to people that your recovery when you give birth to a baby who had died is the almost the exact same as it would be if you had given birth to a baby who had not died. So yeah. I want to, I want you to talk a little bit about that, how your recovery was, how, you know, healing was, if your milk came in, all of that, all of that you know, yep. kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, so like I said, I delivered Ginny vaginally after lots of pushing. Yeah. So I was, I was sore and I bled for six weeks. Yeah. I left the hospital with an ice pack in my crotch. Yeah. You know, the first time I got out of bed, once my epidural wore off, I had a nurse come with me and help me go to the bathroom. Yeah. You know, you're not spared any of that stuff. Right. And I think it's almost worse when you don't get to keep your baby. You don't oh. have that cute baby to distract you. You don't, it's you don't have way that reward. worse. Yes. Yeah. I remember like a few weeks after Jenny died, we had went out for dinner and after being pregnant for nine months, I was used to people being like, here, sit on the bench. Like we were right. waiting for a table. Here I am two weeks postpartum and like wanting to sit down because I, I am sore. I am hurting, you know, and no one like gives up the bench for me because I don't have a baby with me. You just, you feel so, so misunderstood. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I had, um, a second degree tear. So I got a bunch of stitches. They don't, they just do a running stitch at my hospital. So I don't know how many you know, number of stitches I got. Yeah. They, they do that everywhere. It's not like, Oh, okay. you got four stitches for, you sure. know, no, it's just, they just kind of stitch. They kind of, they tell you what degree you are, how, you know, yeah. how deep your tear was, but no, it's not, that's yeah. the way they, they just do it everywhere. So. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see, I'm trying to like, remember all the other things. Um, yeah. so like when we, when we left the hospital, like left with a huge bag of pads and the ice right. packs, um, Mitch had to like help me get into the car and 
all those things. And um, the melt coming in was a big, a big thing that it kind of seems like that's kind of glossed over a lot in my experience talking with other moms. Yeah. Sometimes they're not, they're not informed that their milk's going to come in. And that was something that I was really educated on because of that um, training with Star Legacy. Uh-huh. And so we had, um, Lindsay from Star Legacy actually came out to support us while in the hospital um, and brought some, um, it's called, it's this cabbage cream, Cabo cream. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was developed for like grieving moms so that you're like a little less embarrassing than like shoving stinky cabbage in your bra. Uh, yeah, like, absolutely. Um, That's yeah, interesting. So that, I've never heard of that. So I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah. Um, so it's a little, little to put it on a few times a day and that, that helped a ton um, once my milk came in. So it was like day four and I woke up and my boobs were sore, hard as rocks. Yeah. And they kind of said, oh, I'll take like a week or so to dry up. And it took me almost a month to dry up. I was going to say it's that was yeah. rough. Yeah. Even if you don't do any, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. No, even if you don't do any sort of stimulation, your boot, you know, your milk still can absolutely come in that hard, (laughs) you know, and I'm, and obviously you weren't doing any stimulation. You didn't have a baby. Um, so that's, yeah, very, very important to add that in, and also I want to touch on too, that, um, your baby, you know, you delivered at term and Mm -hmm. many times this, the same thing happens regardless of what week you are, you know, if, if you have a stillbirth at 22 weeks, you're, you know, still expect your milk might come in. Your body doesn't get the memo that your baby's died and there's not a baby. Right. Your body just knows that, Hey, I had a placenta inside a uterus and it got detached and now I need to make milk and I need to throw off all these hormones and I need same kind of thing. Yeah. And so I had to wear like tight sports bras. Yeah. Um, but I was also really worried about like the compression because you can still get mastitis. Yeah. Which is re- just great. I, yeah. I avoided it. Um, but I did tight sports bras, a lot of icing. Um, and then even like avoiding the shower water. Yeah. In the shower. Yes. Cause just like any stimulation. And it was so funny. Like even friends that had breastfed were like, well, can't you just pump a little? And it's like, no. Yeah, that, it's just going to make more milk. Like right. I, I'm trying to dry this up. And I did actually consider donating, pumping to donate milk mm-hmm. after, because again, I had, I knew that my milk was going to come in. So I thought about it for a little bit and I would have in a heartbeat if I had been experienced as a pumping mom before. Right. Um, but I ultimately chose not to, um, Cause I was like, I'm going to be tortured enough already. I don't, yeah. I don't need to put myself through that, but I know many moms that have chose to do that. And I think it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. But, so yeah, like, um, normal postpartum recovery. The hard part was again, I didn't have a baby with me. So like right. my, my dad asked me to go on a bike ride, like four days postpartum. Yeah. Are you crazy? Yeah. Um, and like people, like we were out and about it was awful, but like a week or two later, we were like out and about. It was like, I can't wipe. Right. I need to bring my peri bottle with, and I'm in a porta potty. Like this doesn't work. And like people just thought, Oh, you only have to spend that time like on the couch when you have a baby because you're sleep deprived. And it's like, no, No. like my body still went through everything and just people's like ignorance Mm -hmm. and being oblivious to it. Someone told me, I can't believe you got stitches because your baby was stillborn. 
And it, it might, a lot of people thought that stillbirths only happen at like a 20 week mark, that if you have a stillborn baby, they're, they're little, they're mm -hmm. tiny, you know, it's like less. And I don't mean that, but like, this is like society's general thought is that, that it's like less painful. It's less intense. If you lose a baby sooner, you know, sort of thing. And it's still, like, you still have to give birth when you're only 20 weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's, a much, very clear about that. Yeah. it's a much smaller baby, but you still, yeah, you still have yeah. to give birth. Absolutely. And, and actually from a lot of moms that I've heard that have had babies sooner have said it's more painful even. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's, um, yeah. Anyways. Um, so like people would just not understand that I had to get stitches. Someone, I mean, there were many people that didn't even believe I had to give birth. Wow. Like I pointed out my hospital room window to a friend mm -hmm. and she was like, you, you had to go to the hospital. And she saw me a week before Junie was born. Like, it's not like she was just oblivious it's so to odd. that. I was pregnant. Yeah, that's yeah. so odd to me that it's not that, that you don't like, like, what do you think then? You know, I, like in my experience, I truly think that it's just such an awful reality to yeah. have a baby die. Yeah. People don't want to think about babies dying. People yeah. don't want to think about having to go through the most painful thing in the world mm -hmm. without getting to keep it. So like, yeah. I think it's like a protection mechanism, not that I think it's yeah. okay. Yeah, I can see that. That's, that's what I think happens there. People don't want to think about it because it's so awful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I can understand that. That does actually make a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much um, for sharing all of that. This was such an amazing story and such, yeah. you know, I think it can help so many people too. Um, if they are obviously, you know, hopefully not experiencing the same thing, but just, I think it's just a good reminder of, Hey, this is, this is a different kind of story, but th uh -huh. these are the similarities and this is what happens in this kind of situation. So thank you. But I did want to ask you if you, uh, had any resources that you wanted to share with people if you felt like there were any websites that helped you or any anything at all you went to therapy you did this you read this kind of book you did that anything at all that you thought was helpful afterwards yeah um so resources helpful all the grief things um yeah. so probably the biggest thing would be star legacy foundation that i mentioned yes i had um, done my training through also ironic, it's a national organization, but it's based in a city 20 minutes from where I live. Yeah. Um, so when I mentioned that Lindsay came out from Star, she is actually the founder and the director. So I kind of, now I can joke, like, Junie got to meet a silver celebrity. Kind of. <laughs> but anyways, the Star Legacy Foundation is an awesome organization. Um, if, if you or someone you know has had a baby die, um, they offer online support groups. Okay. which are so, so helpful. Yeah. Um, so they have a bereaved parents group that I was um, in for several months, um, especially, so Junior was born in August and then through the holidays, that was like a lifeline. Yeah. Um, and then they also offer a pregnancy after last group. Um, so my subsequent pregnancy with Coral, that yeah. was very helpful. And then they have parenting after loss groups. And then there's one for like extended family. I think it's called grandparents group, but it's mm -hmm. for aunts and uncles and friends, close friends, things like that. Um, so definitely, I highly recommend if you have a baby die to, to find support that way, because that's, that was just um, invaluable to yeah. those, especially those early days and weeks and still yeah. is. 
That's amazing. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I'll definitely link that in the show notes for anybody who's interested who wants to check yes. them out. So definitely. And there um, for other books, let's talk about books. Yeah. One of the best grief books I read, just more of a general grief book, um, is It's Okay That You're Not Okay by mm -hmm. Megan Devine. Okay. Throughout my experience after Junie died, I found how terrible our society is at approaching grief, mm -hmm. dealing with grief, and supporting grief. And that book just, it really made me feel like, okay, you're not crazy, like that you think and feel this way. Yeah. Um, another book specific to stillbirth um, would be Empty Cradle, Broken Heart. Okay. That was a really good one. That was one of the first ones I read. And then another one is Ask Me His Name. That's another good one. Mm -hmm. um, and just a, a note I want to add is that after Junie died, people were like sending me books and I was getting books suggested to me, things like that. Right. And I was hesitant to read them. It's so silly, but I was hesitant to read them because again, that felt like if I read these books on grief, I was accepting that my baby had died. Uh. And so that's really, it's just a weird, weird mind thing going on there. And then once I did finally come around to reading them, I decided to start reading them, soaking in my lavender oil baths yeah. for my postpartum recovery. Yeah. And then I just, I felt so much more understood and I felt just a little bit more stable and things like that. In addition to that, I did start seeing a therapist about weekly or twice or every two weeks. Um, and that's been really helpful. That's great. Let's see. Otherwise, I would say my biggest resource has just been connecting with other moms. Yeah. And we all hate the reason that we know each other, but right. we all love our babies in ways that other people can't. Um, I remember being so hesitant to actually post on Instagram, which is how I found you. Mm -hmm. um, but I was hesitant to post about Juniper on Instagram because to me, Instagram is supposed to be like happy, positive, uplifting space. Right. And here I am posting about that my baby died. And mm -hmm. When I finally did, especially because I'm a photographer, like Instagram's the place to be. And so when I right. did finally post about Junie, I just discovered the most amazing community of supportive women. Yeah. And I talked to many of them daily. I've met many of them in person. Um, and we just, I mean, we crack jokes that people yeah. like turn their eyes up at and yeah. things like that. So that's been a really uh, great resource yeah. um, as well. And then there are um, local to me, there's actually another um, like support group that I've been going to and connecting with other moms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If there's anything else I think of, I will um, let you know to link it. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say, yeah, no, no, go ahead. About the postpartum recovery. Yeah. Yeah. I meant to say um, one thing about post the postpartum recovery without a baby was that people expected me to go back to work right away. Mm. like within like a week. And again, it was like, I'm recovering from nine months of pregnancy. Right. My, I'm recovering from labor and delivery. My baby died. Like, and I almost need moms. Like you almost need time, more right? time. Yeah. That's what yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. And I've even heard from some moms that the death of their baby and it, stillbirth is such like a weird gray area because like yeah. Junie wasn't considered a life here in Minnesota. She didn't Ugh. get a social security number, but we still had to have a funeral home come. Yeah. Like it's so weird, but I've heard from many moms that um, their babies have died that they don't qualify for like um, maternity leave anymore Ugh. because a lot of maternity leaves are described at for bonding time with the baby. 
Right, right. Or uh, worded something like that. Right. And so I know of a lot of moms that all of a sudden they're like, their work was like, hey, you got to get back to work. You're no longer protected for maternity leave. That is awful. Yeah. And like my mother-in-law, so Junie's grandma, she, her work did not um, qualify the, the death of a grandchild for bereavement leave. Oh my gosh. And she works for a, a decent sized company, you know, so like definitely like the size of the, you know, cause I know that sometimes that can play into things. Right, right, right. Um, but stepping back when we found out we were pregnant with Junie, she didn't want to share it at work because another gal in her department, her grandchild had died. Yeah. And so my mother-in-law didn't want to like rub it in her face. And then Juniper died. And then the company was like, well, this doesn't happen that much. The, you know, like that was their, their like reasoning was like, oh, it doesn't happen. And she's like, it's happened twice to two people in the same little department. Yeah. Like, yeah. So like that was just, I mean, um, I run my own business. So like that was good. I had kind of the ultimate flexibility, right, um, right. but I work a, a part-time job and it was kind of like, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? And Many other moms I know have been expected to be back within days of giving birth or like mm-hmm. the dads don't get paternity leave. And mm-hmm. that's just, that's just really hard. And I compare it to like, especially if you have a C-section on top of it. Oh my gosh. I like, know. Yeah. Like, okay. So what if your spouse died and you went through a major medical event at the same time, you would be given all the leave in the world. Uh, yeah. You'd be given so much understanding, so much empathy. Nope. You literally give birth to death and everyone thinks that you should be, just get over it. And that's just really frustrating. So that's something I wanted to add about the postpartum. Yeah. Well, that's good. That is good to add just to kind of uh, like aware people of that. If that is something that you experience, because that, I, I, that is news to me because I did not even like put two and two together that that could be a possibility that that happens because you think, yeah, like it, I mean, regardless of going through delivery and getting a maternity leave, like you just went through a grief and a loss and that time to, it's like, it's almost like they're, they're not validating that the labor and delivery and the recovery is real. And they're not validating that, like the grief and the fact that you just lost a baby, like a, a, you know, a person in your life is real. It's just, yeah. Your child, like there's a, there's a disconnect. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. And even after, like, after Junie was born, like, I mean, I, I learned so much really quickly about how people approach me. Um, but after Junie was born, I remember bringing up my pregnancy with her. Like I said, something (laughs) McDonald's really should sponsor me. I craved McChickens with Junie all the time. Like that was her favorite food. Um, and I remember like after she was born, I said something about my pregnancy with Junie and how I was craving McChickens or something. And someone looked at me funny, like, like I wasn't supposed to be able to talk about my pregnancy anymore because my baby died. And I'm like, the death of my child doesn't invalidate the nine months of my life that I have. Like, if anything, my pregnancy, the the details of my pregnancy and the deep, my birth story are more important because that's all I have anymore. Right. Right. Like, exactly. And so that was really interesting to like, if I talked or even just if I talked about giving birth, people are like, what? Like, you can't talk about that. Like, no, I can. It's so odd. It's so odd. Yeah, there's definitely a disconnect. Yeah. Well, I hope that, you know, as we kind of talk more about these things and the stigma hopefully goes away that this, that these, you know, these stigmas will go away eventually. Cause I think, I think we are trying to 
there's a movement now to talk more about miscarriage in general and, you Definitely. know, and just, and so hopefully and infertility issues and, you know, all of that. So hopefully this, this will be a way of the past, you know, in the future, but it's, it's difficult. So thank you. Well, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing all of that up. Cause that is very, very important. Well, awesome. I think Amanda. like over, overall, I've just, I feel like dark things, hard things, yes. if you leave them in the darkness, you let them control you. Yes. Um, and so I think it's, it's huge to like confront them head on and to um, give them the narrative you want to give. And I think that's so important. And actually, I want to mention really quick, when I went yeah. to give birth to my second daughter, um, I chose to give birth in the same room that I'd had Junie in, oh, yeah. which is really special. And then I even requested all of our same nurses. And it oh. just, it kind of felt like a, re a reclaiming of like that room in a way, yeah. um, just kind of like taking power of it. Because I know so many moms that can't even drive past the hospital they delivered yeah. at anymore yeah, um, and things like that. So that's just... That's kind of been That's my amazing. overall thought process of like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let Junie's death define her and define right. my life. Right. And I, I can remember her with joy right. and be happy about her. Right. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's such a great way to kind of end things. Yeah. Um, can you, and I know you are on social media, um, mm -hmm. if people wanted to connect with you at all, can you just remind listeners or Martel listeners where they can kind of find you if you're on Instagram or you have a website? Yeah, I'm on the Instagram, as I mentioned. <laughs> um, my handle is orangeafmama. And you will see that my love of orange runs deep there. And I'd like to point out my initials are AF. So it works out perfectly. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's definitely the best, uh, best place to connect with me um, is through Instagram. Awesome. Well, we'll yeah. link that in the show notes as well, along with all of those amazing resources that you shared. Well, thank you for so sure. much, Amanda, again, for coming on here today and sharing your story of Juniper. Of course. I love to share her. <laughs> Thanks again to Amanda for sharing her story of sweet baby Juniper. Death is not easy for anyone, regardless of gestation. And if you are currently dealing with a similar situation, I just want to reach out and give you a big virtual hug. As a birth professional myself who has cared for women experiencing these situations, I know how helpful resources can be. That's why I'm so happy that Amanda shared some of her resources with you guys at the end of her episode. I wanted to again remind you that all of these resources and others are written on the show notes page for you to reference or for you to share with someone you love who is experiencing the same thing. I think Amanda's story truly embodies the fact that stillbirth is still birth. When your baby dies within you, you still have to give birth and experience all of the same pain that goes along with birth, along with grieving a child. Postpartum is the same experience. Depending on gestational age, of course, you can experience postpartum bleeding for four to six weeks, your breast milk coming in, hormonal shifts, affecting mood even more so, postpartum hair loss, body changes, breast changes, and more. Just because mom doesn't bring her baby home does not mean her body whips back to its pre-pregnancy state any sooner. Just as we offer support for our moms who bring their babies home, it's just as important, if not more important, to support our loved ones who don't. I can't imagine the pain you are going through right now if this is you and my heart truly goes out to you.